Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and uh, we're just going to be taking some time in there. I do want to say uh, for the uh, men's breakfast, um, that's actually going to be moving, um, not from this week, but it's going to be moving to uh, the third week this month uh, because of the ladies' brunch. And so um, Nathan is leading that. So I just want to make sure the guys do all you can to join us that following Saturday. Uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday at Honey Butters. That place is awesome. Just think about it. Honey Butters. Right? I mean, come on. They've got these cornmeal cakes that will change your life, so you need to make sure you're there for that, right? So, oh, man, it's good stuff. Well, hey, this morning is our, part of our welcome week, and we're just going to take some time just to um, just talk about who we are as a church. And uh, Pastor Fred and I were just talking and what we wanted this day to look like and what we felt like God was leading us to talk about today. And we just felt like um, just... Uh, together, I almost said we felt like as a couple, that would have been awkward if I would have said that, but, um, but I did say it anyways, but we just felt like that, that we uh, just were led by God, and it was just fun how that happens, a lot of times we're having conversations, it's just cool the way God works things out and puts similar things on each other's hearts, and we just wanted to make sure that we took some time this weekend, they make five promises for you. Five promises of what we want you to experience and see at the City Life Church. And so today we're going to share those promises with you. And I'll just take a few moments to walk through those. And then we're going to end today in a moment of communion just to reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so I'm excited about this as we walk through this together. Um, it was funny just even thinking as Nathan back there with his birthday. I know it was coming up. And uh, it's fun as you get older, right? You stop having birthdays, right? Right? You stop having birthday parties, right? Some people even stop just celebrating their birthdays at all, Miss Fairies, right? And so um, it's one of those things like birthday parties, they just kind of disappear, which I don't know if it's always a bad thing. Because when you stop and you really think about birthday parties, there's just a lot of weird things that come with birthday parties, right? Just a lot of weird things. Let's just be honest, a lot of just inappropriate things, right? That in other, in other settings would never be acceptable. But for some reason, they're acceptable at birthday parties, right? I mean, come on, just think about this for a few minutes, right? At a birthday party, you've got these awkward social moments, right? Where people that otherwise are not connected in any other way, but because of one person, they are forced to be together for two hours, right? Usually in a setting not of your choosing, right? Usually with all kinds of other things going on that you wish were not going on, right? Usually there's more people crammed into a room than should be crammed into a room, right? Said room is getting hot. Said room is getting smelly, right? Conversations are not going well. You're just kind of like, this is awkward. How many times going to say, so what do you do, right? Right? It's just awkward, right? And then you're sitting there, and then there's always the one person that wants you to know that they're connected to the birthday person somehow, right? And they're just overly exuberant about their connection with that person. You're like, great, that's awesome. You're their aunt. whoop de doo right? I'm their friend, right? But they're just like, you got to know, you got to know, right? It's just, it's an awkward social moment. Am I the only one that feels that, right? Just feels the tension in the room? Am I alone? Right? Okay, right? It's awkward, right? Birthday parties are just, it's just something weird about it. You come together and you're just like, okay, we're forced into conversation, but I don't know you. And then, ah, and then it moves on and it just gets even a little bit weirder, right? So we're sitting there, we're eating food and all this different stuff that we probably never would normally eat, right? All together, right? You're mixing up hot dogs and cake and broccoli and ranch and all this. You're just mixing all these things together and you're just like, I don't even know what's happening on my plate right now. And I'm going to hate how I feel in an hour, but I'm going to do it anyways because I'm at a birthday party and then we eat all of our food, and then we come together to eat cake, right? 
But before we eat the cake, we allow somebody to breathe on it. Right? Is that not weird? Come on, right? Is that not weird? Like if you were sitting in a restaurant, right? I'm a server at a restaurant, right? If I was to set your food down on the table and just say, here is your steak that you're paying $30 for. But before you eat it, one thing that I have to do. What would you do? What would you do? But at a birthday party, we sing to the person that's getting ready to spit on our food, and then we joyfully eat it afterwards. What is wrong with that? There's something weird about birthday parties, right? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about it, especially like at a kid's birthday party? Have you ever seen a kid just blow with just air? No, you have not. Any chunk of anything they have recently eaten is coming out of their mouth, right? Right? I mean, you can't talk to a nine-year-old without having to wipe your face, right? And we let them breathe on our cake, and then we just, mm, happy birthday, right? There's something weird about that, right? It's not normal at all, right? And then how about this? How about this? We give gifts just because they got older, right? There's nothing they could do about it, right? There's nothing, they can just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to decide to grow older today. I'm going to get a little bit bigger, I'm going to get a little bit older, and I, no, it just happens, right? And then on top of that, we're celebrating their birth. They didn't do anything for their birth, their mom did. Why aren't we giving the mom the gifts, right? And then the mom has had to put up with the kid. The mom should be celebrated that day, not the kid, but yet we give these kids these gifts, and they just tear through them, and then they leave them in a pile after five minutes of tearing through the paper, and they go play with the box. What is wrong with birthdays? It's weird. The whole thing is just awkward, right? I mean, come on. Next time you get a birthday party now, you're going to be like, thanks, Pastor Jamie, right? You just ruined this experience for me, right? But when I think about that, and I think about all this stuff, especially the gifts part of it, when I think about that, and I think about the fact that we give this person these gifts, and we're just like, you know what, they haven't done anything for it, and how we sometimes respond to that, right? When you're sitting there, and you're watching somebody, and especially when I'm at a kid's birthday with my kids, it's the, I'm the worst at this. I'm watching some kid open up their gifts, and they open up this gift, and it's like, you know, this like brand new $90 pair of Jordans, right? And I'm just like, there is no way that kid has done anything to deserve those shoes, Right? There's no way, right? There's no way. And, right, they're not going to take care of those $90 shoes. I just know they're not, right? I was at Braden's school the other day, right, having lunch with them, and there was a kid on the playground with Jordans, right? Jordans, nine years old, playing kickball in the dirt with Jordans. I'm like, don't, right? The whole time I'm just like, man, they're not going to take care of that gift. And so I start judging them because of the gift that they got, Right? I know I'm an awful person, but you do it too, right? That's why you're awkwardly smiling right now. You're like, oh, yeah, I've done that too, right? Right? Or oftentimes when we get a gift and we feel like it's too much, right? We get a gift and we're just like, man, I don't know if I deserve this gift, man. You just, wow, that's just too much. Have you ever received a gift like that where you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Man, I just feel like, wow, I don't deserve that gift. Man, how, how much is that true when it comes to church and it comes to the gifts that God gives us? Right? A lot of times in church, we look at the gifts that God's given somebody, and we're like, man, I don't know if they deserve that gift, and I don't know if they're going to take care of that gift. I don't know if they're going to use that gift for what they should use that gift for, and man, I, don't, I, I wish they wouldn't have gotten that gift. I wish somebody else would have gotten it, or I would have gotten that gift, right? 
Or how many times when we sit there and God's given us something to do, and we're just like, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. God's given me something to do. He's given me something to use. And, man, I just feel like it's too much for me. I don't know what to do with it. And so we either just sit there and leave it or we abuse it, right? And so today, as we think about the context of gifts and we think about what God's doing in his church, we want to take some time just today to look at the promises that we want to make with you as somebody who's attending this church or somebody who's looking to attend this church. What does it look like to serve God? What does it look like to follow him faithfully? What does it look like to have God active in your life? And that's where we're going to be at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you got your Bibles open there, say, uh-huh. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the special abilities the Spirit gives us. In other translations, it talks here, and it says the spiritual gifts, and really that is actually a poor translation. The word spiritual gifts is not used, and so newer translations have tried to make an adjustment for that. Um, the New Living Translation, which I just read to you, says about the spiritual abilities the Spirit gives us. The message version reads this way, what I want to talk about now is the various way God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. What I want to talk about now is the various ways God's spirit gets worked into our lives. Here the word uh, spiritual gifts, what the actual word is trying to relate to, and it actually clearly, I shouldn't say is trying to, it clearly relates to, is the human spirit, right? It's the human spirit which is near to God and is used for God's glory. Who we are is the rational soul, is what some theologians call it, like who we are on the inside, who we truly are. That person, that, 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 that place inside of us that really describes who we are, Paul is saying, hey, I want to talk to you about who you really are in Christ and what God wants to do through you because of that. If you go on in verse 2 and verse 3, it reads this, You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. In verse 3, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying there is, hey, listen, when you get saved... When you encounter Jesus and make a vow of devotion to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I want you to be Lord of my life. That something happens in you. You begin to be changed. You are in a moment changed, and then you will continue to change. That you are literally a different person. So Paul is saying in this is, hey, listen, I want to speak to you about who you really are in Jesus and what he's given you to do, Right? What he's given you to do because you are somebody, when you look inside of yourself, you can see that Jesus has changed you. And so the promise that we want to give you this morning and that we want to make as a church is that we are going to be a church that looks together. We're going to be a church that looks together. We're going to be first and foremost a church that looks to Jesus because Jesus is our hope. If we follow Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. Now, listen, you got to understand the city of Corinth, right? Here's the city of Corinth, right? It is summed up in this way. Pastor Judas Smith out in Seattle sums it up this way, and I thought it was the best description. The city of Corinth, it is Hollywood, New York City, and Amsterdam, all crammed into one city and a little bit crazier. All right, can you imagine that, right? That's, that's Corinth. That is the environment. That is the setting. That is the culture of Corinth. And this is who Paul is talking to. 
Now, this is a fantastic book. This book right here is written by Paul, right? That is not debated or argued or doubted by a single person. Everyone knows that Paul wrote the book of Corinthians. Paul himself encountered Jesus, right? On a road, he saw the living Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. Paul, who had formerly been persecuting the church, killing Christians, himself gave his life to Jesus, and he became a totally different person instantly. And he continued to change for God's glory as he lived his life on. That is Paul writing Corinthians. He wrote this book before any of the Gospels were written. This book is about 15 to 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The idea that Jesus was not just some man that walked the earth, but that Jesus was God, that Jesus died on the cross, and that Jesus rose again was the very thing that the church believed and submitted themselves to. So Paul's writing to them in chapter 11. He's saying to them, hey, listen, you guys are starting to lose it. You're starting to lose the view. You're thinking about yourselves. When you come together to eat, you're going, filling up your plate. You're grabbing as much stuff as you can. You're one of those awkward persons at the birthday party that everybody's looking at and judging, right? You're filling your plate up too much. You took too many meatballs, right? Come on. We can make, we can make birthday parties from meatballs, right? Come on. That's good stuff right there. So you're filling up your plate with meatballs, right? You're, you're doing too much. You're just thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about other people. Don't forget that Jesus came to this earth thinking of us first, giving up everything of himself so that we could know life. Listen, we're going to be a church that looks to Jesus. There's going to be moments and there's going to be time that we start looking at ourselves. There's going to be moments and there's going to be times that we start looking at our situations and our circumstances and we allow them to be the dominant thing that we're focusing on. We're committing to you that we're going to be a church that looks to Jesus together. That when we are talking together, when we're doing life together, when we're worshiping Jesus, we say, no, it's not your circumstance that's dominating your situation. It's Jesus that is present with you, right? There's a reason for hope. When you're talking, you're just saying, you know what, I'm going through some stuff right now, and I don't know why I'm making the decisions I'm making. I know they're wrong, but I keep doing them. You know what, that sin doesn't control you. Jesus is the one that's in charge of you. Just submit it to him, and you will see change happen in your life. We will be a church that helps each other, and we'll be committed to looking to Jesus. Because Jesus is the hope, he is the reason. In James it talks about this word of God, the scripture is a mirror to our souls. That when we look at scripture, that we see what we should be. We see what we should be doing. And that through Jesus we have a reason to believe that we can be and that we are becoming what God hopes for us. So we're going to look to Jesus, we're going to look to scripture, and we're going to look to each other. We're going to be a church that looks together. We're going, to look at a, we're going to be a church that looks at what he's given us to do. If you will, join me in verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same get, spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but when we serve the same Lord, God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. Listen, we're going to be a church that looks at what he's given us to do, and this Verse here in verse chapter er, in, in verse four, when it says the word gifts, what that word is, it literally is this: a favor one receives without any merit of his own. Right? It's like a birthday party, right? You go to a birthday party, you get a gift, you didn't do anything, right? Right? You remember, your mom did all the work. Just in case you don't realize that you think you're a gift to this world, your mom did all the work, you just came in, right? Right? Okay, there we go. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyways got some issues I got to work through today. I don't know what it is, right? Thank you, Jenna. One of our, 
So listen, these gifts that God gives us. So if we look at, if we look at the beginning of it, right, when it's talking to us, these things that God is working out in us through his spirit. He's given us gifts. He's given us things so that we can discover who he is and what he wants us to do. Listen, when you look at yourself, God has given you something that you don't deserve. He's given you a gift so that you can know him in a whole new way. And not only that you can know him, but so that someone else can know him. I know a lot of people, they're talking and it's like, I want to know God. I want to know this relationship that you keep talking about. I want to know what it is experienced. And they want to know the facts. And I keep telling them, listen, there's no way the facts are ever going to get you where you're supposed to be. But if you start saying, I believe that God has something for me and he's got something he wants me to do. And you start stepping into that, you're going to start discovering that you need God, right? And then as you discover that you need him, you're going to start discovering that he's there. And the gifts that he has for you are going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And you're going to know him better and better and better, as it says in Colossians. If we look to him and look what he's given us to do, and we'll see that he's given us each a role. He's given us each a responsibility. As you go on through the rest of this chapter, it's broken up in three different ways. He's given us a variety of gifts, right? So there's a bunch of us in here. We've got different gifts, you got different ways of doing different things, right? Each person can do something different and uniquely, right? Stacia's got this gift of hospitality. You can't be around Stacia without feeling loved, welcomed, and encouraged, right? And leaving fat, right? Stacia has got an amazing gift of hospitality, right? Chris has got a gift of worship, right? He can lead us in worship. He can raise his voice. You know what? Does it make one person better? No, it doesn't. But you know what it does make better? The church with them doing what they're called to do. And when we look at it and say, you know what, we're looking to Jesus because he is our answer. He is our hope. You know what, we're going to look to his word for correction. We're going to look to his word for guidance. And you know what, we're going to look and we're going to see that he's given us something to do. And when we start finding those things that we're supposed to do and we step into those, God begins to explode in the scene and he begins to show us who he is and he shows us that he loves us, that he cherishes us, and that he gives us something that we do not deserve. Man, and when we're in that moment... Come on, when you're at a birthday party and you get something, you're just like, wow, this is a gift for me, right? There might be a moment of just like, I don't deserve this. But when you stop and you recognize and realize that somebody did it because they love you, it changes how you feel about them, doesn't it? Right? Come on, when somebody gives you a lame gift, it changes how you feel about them, right? Right? If somebody gives you something, you're just like, for real? That's what you're going to give me on my birthday? For real. Like, right? Like, I thought we were close. Like this, right? Changes how you talk to them the next day, doesn't it? <laughs> Right? Maybe you shun them for a week. But then if somebody you just blows your socks off, man, it's like, holy cow, I can't believe you did this for me. Listen, God's given each one of us a gift. He's given you a gift so that you can know him and experience him. If you come to this church and you give yourself to this church and give yourself to what God's doing in this place and he's calling us to do in this community and we look to Jesus together, he's going to help you see those gifts that he's given you. And as you begin to use those gifts, you're going to grow in your relationship with God in a way that you never could have imagined. So we promise you we're going to be a church that looks together. Next thing I have for you tonight or today is that when you have found Jesus, and you have found the truth of this reality, you'll begin to see and understand that what you have found determines what you expect. What you have found determines what you expect. In verses 7 
through 11. You go through and you read all of these right here, and we're not going to read them this morning. But it starts talking about God doing miraculous things, right? That some people have a gift for healing, and some people have a gift for prophecy, and some people, all of these miraculous things, right? These things that we talk about in the church, and and when the world looked at it, we go, yeah, that stuff's kind of weird. I'm not sure about it, right? But listen... God has given us gifts so that we can encounter him and know that he's a real and present God. Why would we not have an expectation that God's going to show up and do the miraculous? Listen, when we're a church that looks to Jesus, we're going to be a church that is full of expectation that God is going to come in and invade our space. So listen, we're going to make a promise to you that we're going to expect together. That is going to be a promise that we're going to expect that in this time and in this place that there's going to be moments where people are divinely healed we have that expectation because we know god is a true healer and that he does miraculous things there's people in this room that today that can tell you of the miraculous things that god has done you can look at it and say there's no way that could have happened and they'll tell you it is and it's true because i'm standing right here god does the miraculous and we have every reason to expect it if we're looking to him and we're looking to what he's given us to do we're using our gifts and we're using our abilities and all the talents so that we can say you know what this is god's church he's doing it to proclaim his name throughout all of the universe and i'm here to help somebody else grow closer to god and as i do that guess what i'm going to grow closer to god i have every reason to come in this place with expectation that god's going to do something supernatural and amazing you have every reason to believe that your marriage is falling apart that when you look to jesus and you join together in a church and you start rubbing shoulders with people in church that love jesus and they're looking to jesus guess what your marriage is going to be healed you got a kid you don't know what to do with and you're like all i think all i can think about is just throwing them out on the street you know what maybe we'll help you throw out on the street a little bit with you right and then we're going to walk with the kid and we're going to love the kid you know why because you got a very reason to expect that Jesus can restore any situation. Man, my finances are falling apart and things are a mess and we're losing everything that we need and everything that we should have. We don't, man, I don't even know how I'm going to feed my kid. Guess what? That is what the church is here for, is that Jesus has called us to love each other, to care for each other, to hope together, to serve each other. And as we do that, guess what? You find hope and joy in those that God's called you to do life with and you see Jesus more clearly And you've got every reason to expect that your situation will turn, your situation will be resolved. And if anything, you have no reason to worry because God's given you people to love you, be there with you, and care for you. Listen, we've got every reason to expect when Jesus is our hope. We've got every reason to believe. We've got every reason to look to him. Our expectation, this is the third one, our expectation should open the eyes to the massive story that we are a part of. If you go on verses 12 through 17, it starts talking about God, and, and, or talk, talking about the church, that we are many parts of one body, right? Paul uses it a fun analogy. He's probably speaking to some junior hires at this moment. And he's just like, hey, can you imagine what a body would look like if it just had one part, right? Imagine just a giant eyeball just rolling around on the street. That would be weird, right? Visine would love it, but everybody else would be like, this is kind of weird, right? Can you imagine what that would look like? It would be abnormal. Listen, the church body, sometimes we look at it, we're like, because that person's a part of this body, it's abnormal, right? (laughs) That's a weird body. No, you know what? It says this in verse, verse 18. It says this, but our bodies have many parts, and listen to this, listen to this. This is for you. This is for every one of us in this church this morning. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put us each part just where he wants it. Just where he wants it. 
Listen, his church is his plan. Church is not just an activity. Church is not just something to add to your schedule. It's not just something to say, you know what, yeah, I go to church and I do, and it's a part of list of things that you do. Church is the answer that God has for this world to know him and be in relationship with him. Church is not something to add to your life. Church is a place to come and experience the God of life. That is what church is. And each one of us, when we come together, you and I, when we come and say, this is the place God's called me to, this is the body he's called me to be a part of, we see that God has placed us here. God has called us here. God has chosen from eternity past that you are to be here and be a part of this church, that you're to be here today. God has got a plan laid out, and you and I are to be a part of that plan as we look together as we experience together, as we expect together, we've got every reason to hope together. And that should open our eyes to this massive story that we're a part of. That we're not just kind of floating through the universe just hoping something works out. But that God is orchestrating things. That he's working things out. That he's putting us together so that we can know him. And know that God is in control of our situations. He's in control of our life. And that when we've submitted to Jesus, we've got every reason to live our lives for him. Come on, we've got every reason, every reason to expect big. So our promises, if you go through and you look at these, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit if you join me here. Let's go to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 7. This is the love chapter. I could spend a ton of time just on this. But in verse 7, it says, love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. NIV puts it this way. This is a better way of saying this. But it's always love, always. Everybody say with me, always. Love always protects. It always trusts. It hopes. It preserves. What does always mean? Always, right? Does always mean sometimes? It means all the time, right? So here's the deal with this. When we look at this, you are placed here, right? There's going to be people here that you don't understand why they are here, why they're doing what they're doing, why they have the gift that they have. It doesn't make sense to you. But guess what? God has brought us all together so that we can know him better, so that we can see him better, so that we can live for him better. He's brought us together so that the world can see him better. And you know how we do that? By loving. When? Always. You know what this means? Is that we cover each other, right? When we come together, why do we have a reason to expect? Why do we have a reason to believe that we're part of a bigger story? Because when we come together, we start learning each other's dirt. You know what we find? Not people that talk about us, not people that put us down, not people that destroy us. But you know what we find? We find a group of people that say, you know what? Yeah, they got some baggage, but so do I. And we get to do life together. I love them. Yeah, did you hear? No, I sure didn't, but I don't even care. You know what I do know about them? Love always trust. Love always covers. Love always does these things. Listen, we want to be in a place that has a mutual dependency, right? That we depend upon each other, right? There's this idea of interdependence, that I need you and you need me. That is what God's called us to do and to know and experience in this life. That means that we honor each other, that we lift each other up, that we lift the church up. How many of you would love to be in a place that instead of having things in your life that you wish were kept secret were made public? And instead of them being exploited, they were the very reasons that you were loved. 
And the things that were destroying you and hurting you and keeping you locked up in life where you can't experience what you know in your heart you're supposed to be doing. Instead of locking you up, you're able to free those things up, speak those things, and find life and freedom in those things. Man, when we see and we know that God can do the miraculous, we have that expectation. Our eyes are open to this big story that he's called us to be a part of. And if we as a church love each other and we serve each other, we honor each other, we cover each other's faults, right? We care for each other. Then we have every reason to expect big things. And so we promise as a church that we're going to bank on each other. We're going to bank on each other. I'm going to believe the best for you. I'm going to believe the best of you. Did you hear what so-and-so said about Pastor Jamie? I'm sure they had a reason to say it, right? Thanks for the criticism. I love to hear that, right? Yeah, but do you know what they said? You know, well, it's probably true. All right, it's true. I'm not that good looking. It's understandable, right? No matter what it is, man, we're going to love each other. I'm going to bank on you. You know, the other day, this person was supposed to be doing something, and they failed at it. You know what? Let's get together. Let's find a way to make it work together. You know what, this was supposed to happen. You know what, maybe it was supposed to happen, maybe it wasn't. Let's find out why it didn't happen. You know what, church service didn't go the way that I wanted it to because you know what, Pastor Chris just didn't sing what I wanted him to sing. You know what, he prayed. He gave his heart and said, God, I want this to be the service that you do today. God, I want you to move in this place. I want us to encounter your presence today. He sang what he felt like he was called to sing. I'm thankful for what he's saying. I'm thankful that he's here, right? You guys with me on that? Hey, we're going to be a church that banks on each other, that we're called to be together for a reason, and that means I have every reason to trust you, I have every reason to believe in you, and if I ever see something wrong, that I don't have to go and just be like, oh man, I don't want to deal with that, I don't want to be around that person, but instead I can go to them and say, you know what, I got a moment, I got a chance that we can look to Jesus together. And I can expect that Jesus is going to bring some healing. Jesus is going to bring some resolution. Jesus is going to do something amazing in this situation, right? We're going to work this thing out together because we've got the gifts that we need to make that thing happen. Hey, I'm banking on you. This church needs you. Come on, how many of you want to be a part of a church like that? Because we've all been a part of a church that does the complete opposite, right? And maybe you've heard of those churches. Maybe you were a kid and you experienced that, and that's why you've never been in church again. But God's got you here today. I'm telling you, we want to be a church that banks on each other. The worship team makes their way up here. We get to see that our, inter- our interdependence makes us part of a team. Makes us part of a team. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. So when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away the childish things. Hey, we're going to be a church that grows together. We're going to be a church that when we look to Jesus, when we have expectation of the miraculous, when we have expectation that God is going to meet us, that God's going to intervene, that God's going to change us, that God's going to grow us. When we come together and we're willing to bank on each other, we're going to get, we're going to know, and we're going to see that we're going to be a church that grows together. That when we stop and we look back a month, I'll be, wow, I'm a different person. Man, they're a different person. Wow, this church is totally different. A year from now, we're like, holy cow, can you believe what God has done in a year? And it's not tied to anything else other than what God is doing, his activity in somebody's life, that we can see him actively working, restoring, healing, mending, that we can see God doing that. When we say, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing. We've grown. We're going to work together because we can grow together. 
So today as we wrap this up, we're going to take a few moments. And we're going to end in communion. We're going to take some time just to reflect on who God is and what he's done for us. In verse 13 of chapter 13, he says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, love, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. And again, just a reminder, hey, listen, love, right? Love God, love people. Do those things. If you do those things, God's going to do amazing things in you. If you know that he loves you and he cares for you and that he's called you and given you the ability to love others, that there can be and will be something different about your life and that you should live with this expectation, this expectation that God's going to speak to you, God wants to speak through you, that God wants to use you. Have that expectation. Chapter 15, it continues on as Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. He's giving them order and structure in chapter 14 of what the church should do, how the church should worship. And he's going through and he's giving these instructions and giving these plans of how they should do it. And in verse, or chapter 15, he says, but this, now let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. They started to change. They started to shift. What did they started to shift on? That God did not send Jesus to die for us. That Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a man that existed. We've got to be and we've got to know that we're a church that looks to Jesus. If you continue on in chapter 15, I'm wrapping up with this in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. Listen, Jesus came and he died on the cross for us so that we could be freed of our sins, so that we could be freed to live our life for God and through God. That is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. We have to believe that. Paul wrote this book 15 to 20 years after it happened. It was wildly accepted. It was the thing that distinguished the Christian church that believed that Jesus did these things. Jesus was not just a man that came and walked this earth. He was not just somebody who was a good person and a good teacher. Jesus was somebody who himself declared himself to be God. Jesus, when he was born, was born of a virgin mother, right? When he was a child, when he was a baby, had random shepherds showing up at his that his little crib that was in a cave and they were showing up at the situation and saying God told us to come and worship this baby, right? That is not normal. That is not just a baby that was just born. Two years later, kings, magis came from different places, different places all around the world, traveled at great lengths, led by a star, came and gave rare, exceptional gifts to a two-year-old boy. As he grew up, his parents thought they had lost him. They came to find him in a temple, teaching the leaders of the church, marveling them with what he knew. He was just a 10-year-old boy, and he's proclaiming the good news of God. He's marveling people, never had been taught, never had been raised in the church, didn't grow up in, in these teaching schools for the religious leaders. They were marveled at what he said. That is not normal. Then when he grew up and became a man, he became 
began to call people and they followed him. He began to do the miraculous. People were healed. People were changed. Lives were changed in front of everyone's eyes. Massive amounts of people followed him everywhere he went. Then he was killed for no reason other than the fact that you and I sit on the cross. Because when God created this earth, he created it so that we would be in relationship with him. But then we chose to not be in relationship with God, but to be in relationship with ourselves. To choose what we want instead of what God wants for us. And we severed his creative plan at the beginning of time. And he has been pursuing us since and wanting to restore us and putting us back into relationship. And so he sent Jesus to come and to die on a cross. Jesus died on a cross and then he rose from the grave. He was done in three days. He accomplished all things, right? And people, over 500 people saw him who had seen him die, had now seen him alive. That is not normal. That is true. This was written 10, 15 years, 20 years after this all happened. No one rejected it then because it's true. And it's true today. Jesus Christ lived he died and he rose for you and me because we need a savior and if you're here today and you're like i don't know who jesus is that's who jesus is he is god he is the god man that came for you and i so that we can have life so that we can know the abundance of life that's who jesus is you can't sit here today and just say i don't know who jesus is or i can accept him as a good teacher but i can't accept him as god listen he came and he died and either that's true or it's not true and if it's true He's got, we've got every reason to turn to him. We've got every reason to hope. And if we reject that idea, we've got every reason to be afraid. We've got every reason to run in fear. We've got every reason to worry. But if it's true and we turn to him, we've got every reason to hope, every reason to joy. We've got every reason for everything to expect that God is present and he's with us. So today, we cannot just sit here and mildly accept Jesus. We have to say, Jesus is Lord. He is everything, and I turn to him. I give him everything. I'm going to look to him. So what I want us to do in this moment is to take communion. As Paul was moving in chapter 12, he stopped and he paused. He said, don't forget who Jesus is. In, verse, in chapter 11, in chapter 11, in verse 23, he said, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this is the cup, is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink. Paul's saying in this chapter, don't forget to look to Jesus first. When you look to Jesus, he's going to help you to look to other people. And he's going to help you to know his love for you and how he's gifted you and called you so that others can know him as well. And he did it by giving everything. When you go and you take this cup and you take this bread and we sing these worship songs, it's not just to remember a good preacher. It's to remember God sent his son so that we could have life and life abundantly. Take it if you are a follower of Christ, if you've made a vow of devotion to him and reflect on who he is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you've never made a vow of devotion. Or when you look at it, you say, you know what? I've never really accepted him or I've never really seen him as a distinguished person. He's just been a man. Come, talk to me. 
Let's work it out. Let's talk. Let's pray together. And you can say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. And then we can go and take communion together. And we can say, God, you have done everything. You have fixed everything, and you're going to continue to fix everything. And I want to chase after you. So if you will, please stand with me. Father, I just pray in these next few moments, as we do as you've called us, as you've given us a model to follow, to remember. God, that we will make this a personal and intimate moment. This is not just some ritual that the church does, but God, this is something you've told us to do so that we can remember you. That we can remember that you came. That we can remember that you are real, that you are present that you weren't just some man that died on a cross, but that you were God who died on the cross so that we could be freed and forgiven of our sins. God, may it be real, may it be intimate. God, may we see that you've placed us in this place. You've given us an opportunity to know you, to love you, to grow in you, and that you've given us responsibility. You've given us opportunity to help others to do the same. God, you've given us a gift, and that gift is Jesus. And when we embrace that gift and we accept that gift, we see that it's a gift that has more than we can even understand. And it begins to lock, unlock new gifts. And it begins to unlock new things in us. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we take a moment to seek you and pray, God, that you will begin to do that. That you will unlock those things. That you will open our eyes to you and to your goodness and your mercy. God, we love you and we praise you. As we begin to sing, as you feel led and as you feel ready, just go and take the elements. You can find a place somewhere else in the auditorium. You can come back to your seat. You can take it as a family, take it as an individual. We're going to just take a few moments where we can just reflect on who he is. We can remember what Jesus has done. We can look to him and have every reason to expect that he will do something miraculous.